And while it is a privilege to be in this pulpit, I can't help but want our preacher back. Don't you? And so let us never lose fervency in praying for him, praying for Cynthia, praying for his family, for his healing, and God's, God's glorification in the midst of it all. So this is the last week of our series, I Am Changed. We started this right after Easter, where we focus on the fact that God wants to transform us. Do you remember that message from Pastor Chris Williams? God wants to transform us. And then Jessica showed us how Christ comes and changes the way that we live. Mark talked to us about how following Christ changes our appetites to desire what God does. Bob preached about how Christ changes the way we look at our identity. Pastor Jim talked about how our views of worldly authority changes when we realize that all authority comes from God. And then last week, Zach preached about how our relationships change when we look at them through Christ-like eyes. Christ sure does change a lot when he comes into our lives, doesn't he? He changes our standards for living. He changes our desires, our identity, our submissive spirit, our relationships, and more. And if you haven't guessed it, we're going to talk about the more. It's the last week to do so. So here's a question. How does God give us strength? When you come to Christ, where does your strength come from? We'll be dwelling this morning in the book of 1 Peter, chapter 4, verses 12 through 14. So if you'd like to turn there as we begin to read here in a moment. Again, that is 1 Peter, chapter 4, verses 12 through 14. Hear the word of the Lord. Beloved... Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that is taking place among you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you are sharing Christ's sufferings, so that you may also be glad and shout for joy when his glory is revealed. If you are reviled, For the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the Spirit of glory, which is the Spirit of God, is resting on you. This is the word of the Lord. Look at how Peter begins this section. Beloved. This is not the same sort of conversation that a boss has with an employee that a master has with a servant, that a scholar has with another scholar. This is a brother to a brother, a sister to a sister, a friend to a friend. In other words, Peter's saying, I'm telling you this because I love you. So, beloved, do not be surprised. Don't be caught off guard. Don't end up acting as if you don't know what's going on. Have you ever tried to scare someone or sneak up on them? 
It's time to confess. We've probably, probably all done it at some point. And there's an array of reactions that someone can have. There's the person that completely overreacts. There's the person who just loses their breath. There's the person who jumps. But then there's the person who's just no fun at all. <laughs> they just, they're just straight face right at you. Good try. Try again. But why can't you get them? It's because in the back of their mind, they somehow are making themselves aware that someone might try to jump out at me today. As weird as that sounds, someone, it's, it's in the realm of possibility. So then when it comes, they can diffuse it. The reaction doesn't happen. They can seem as though they were expecting it all along. They're always alert. They're always on guard. It sure sounds like something that needs a lot of strength. And so Peter is telling us to not be caught off guard by the fiery ordeal that is coming to test us. Fiery ordeal. This is an allusion to the refining of metals. How do you make metals pure? You've got to melt them down. You've got to take out all the impurities to make it pure. But that requires heat. That requires fire. That requires ouchie. Right? And so God wants to find that we're the real deal. That we're truly pure. That we're actually strong in our faith. This test... This fiery ordeal in Peter's time could have been persecution, slander, attacks, mistreatments, rejection. Anything that could happen to someone who took Christ as their Lord and Savior because the world hated him. It sure sounds like something that needs a lot of strength to get through, doesn't it? Wait a second, though. Because... Why would God, the God who promises rest, the God who promises eternal life, this God who promises to never forsake us, test us with a fiery trial? It doesn't seem to add up, does it? It doesn't seem very loving. Why would he put us through suffering. Why is that such a godly thing? Are you telling us, Peter, that we shouldn't be surprised when God allows suffering to enter into our lives? Are you telling us, Peter, that we shouldn't be surprised when God puts us through something that isn't all that enjoyable? Are you telling us, Peter, that we shouldn't be surprised when God attempts to see if we're truly disciples of Christ? When was the last time you were ID'd for your age? Hopefully not for buying alcohol because we're Wesleyans here, right? But there's other things you can get ID'd for. Fuel injector cleaner, certain medications, all right? People want to make sure that you're the age that you are. And it's kind of annoying, isn't it? It's annoying at your self-checkout stops. Beep, beep, beep. Some of us get flattered, you know, oh, they think I'm, think I'm younger than I am. They don't, they're just doing their job. <laughs> but it's annoying, right? It's because 
the rest of us are thinking, do you see these crow's feet? Do you see these kids? Do you see these stress lines? Do you see me? I look the part. I look the part. And as bad as it sounds, doesn't your first instinct want to react to God when he does something similar by saying, I told you I wanted to be a Christian. I told you I was a Christian. So why are you checking in on me? If anything changes, I'll let you know. I look the part. I'm here in church today. So why are you testing me? And yet, they continue to ask for our IDs, and God continues to test us to see if we're strong in our faith. But you're still not telling us where to get the strength, preacher. Relax. I'm getting there. Now, this is where it gets fishy, okay? Because does God make people who are persecuting these Christians persecute them? Does God make bad things happen to Christians? Scripture doesn't seem to attest to this fact. Now, I'm not going to spend very long on it, but I just want to make a short account for this. God doesn't make bad things happen to the righteous. Notice how I didn't say the wicked. God doesn't make bad things happen to the righteous, but he does allow bad things to happen to the righteous. Job is the best example of this. God allowed Satan to come after Job. And two, the story of Joseph, right? Not Joseph, Jesus' adopted father, Joseph, coat of many colors, Joseph. And at the end of his life, this man who had been sold into slavery by his brothers, who ends up being the second in command of Egypt, when his brothers come to him and say, we're sorry, forgive us, he says this in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. Even though you intended to do harm to me, God intended it for good in order to preserve a numerous people as he is doing today. God allows evil to fall on the righteous in order that he can use it for the good of the world and for his glory. Is that sick and twisted? No. Because God always has something greater in the end waiting. Doesn't mean it's not hard. Doesn't mean it's not bad. But he always has something greater on the other side. And so God allows evil to befall on the disciples of Christ in Peter's time and even now. Our suffering, though, in America doesn't typically look a lot like those of the early Christians, though, does it? Our religion isn't trying to be pushed out of society in the same manner that it was then. It's, it's not accepted by everybody, don't get me wrong, but it's tolerated. We're protected by laws, and we have a country where we can worship freely, amen? But the suffering that we suffer at the hands of Satan is suffering too, isn't it? Couldn't that be a fiery ordeal when we're attacked with disease, disaster, and other misfortunes? even being stuck in our own sin. When things hit us in our lives, it might just be Satan coming after us because we're following Christ. He wants to see if he can get us to crack. Later, in the very same letter at 1 Peter, Peter says in chapter 5, verse 8, Discipline yourselves. Keep 
alert. Like a roaring lion, your adversary the devil prowls around, looking for someone to devour. Just because you wouldn't expect it to be him doesn't mean that it isn't him. He'll attack you in whatever way he needs to, in whatever culture you're in, to make sure that you want to quit following Christ. To make sure you fail the test that God is giving you. It sure sounds like something that needs a whole lot of strength. And in whatever crud Satan throws at us, God doesn't always help us through it in the way that we want. We sometimes want this immediate deliverance, but sometimes he lets Satan come after us a little bit. Why? And that's revealed in the next verse, if you still have your Bibles open, of chapter 4. But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings. Rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings. Let's think about these sufferings of Christ for a minute. The Father could have stopped what happened to Christ, and yet he didn't. He allowed people to kill him. Why? For our good, for the good of the world. If God had an allowed suffering at that point in history, we wouldn't have the grace that we have today. Think about it. A world that is filled with sin is filled with suffering. A world that is filled with disobedience to God is full of anguish and pain. And Christ, wanting to reverse that pain, wanting to reverse that anguish, steps into it. To save us. Suffering had a point. And it sure sounds like something that needs a lot of strength to get through. Especially if we're going to share in the sufferings of Christ. But well, that still doesn't fully answer the question though, does it? Because if Christ came and entered into our suffering so that we could enter into the bliss of heaven, then shouldn't that mean that there shouldn't be any more? Suffering? That we shouldn't have to share in Christ's suffering? That we shouldn't need to go through any more trials? That we shouldn't have to suffer as Christians? I want you to picture the dirtiest house you have ever seen in your life. I want you to walk up to it with me. The vinyl siding is falling off. You put your hand on the greasy door handle and open it up. And this manure stench just hits you in the face. And the ceiling is carpeted with mold. And the carpet is just caked in mud. And nobody, nobody wants to touch this house. Nobody believes that it can be cleaned. But then Christ comes along. And he remodels this thing into a way that people cannot even believe It's the cleanest thing anybody's ever seen. But then he calls me. Hey, Jared. Yeah. Would you mind going into that house and cleaning the floors? Okay. So I walk into this house again. And I look at the floors. And they're spotless. But I clean them again. Because he asked me to. 
And then he calls me again. Jared? Yeah. Will you clean the dishes? Okay. So I go in the cupboards and all, all the dishes are clean. There's nothing in the sink, but I clean them again because he asked me to. But doesn't it seem pointless? Isn't that completely pointless? The work's already done. I can't do any better of a job. The guy that's already the best did it. So why am I doing it? And yet Peter tells us to take part in the suffering of Christ, to share in it. Nothing we can do can make the job any better, and yet he asks us to share in it with Christ so that when Christ comes back, we might rejoice at his return. Why? Because the people who are going to rejoice (laughs) at Christ's return are the people who are trying to be Christ-like. The people who did the very things that he did for the very reasons he did. Even if they couldn't do it better than him. Christ suffered to show the world his love. And he calls us to do the same when suffering befalls our lives. But can't we be excited for Christ's return without suffering, without proving our strength? You could. But the Christ you'd be waiting for wouldn't seem very familiar to you. Here's why. Let me read that final verse to you again. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the spirit of glory, which is the spirit of God, is resting on you. If you are suffering for Christ's sake, you probably have the spirit of Christ. And if you have the spirit of Christ, you are one who's trying to be Christ-like, one who will rejoice at his return. And that's the most precious blessing we could ever have. The spirit, though, who makes us Christ-like, is found on people who are suffering In Christ's name. But what is this spirit that Peter speaks of? In this verse, this final verse, chapter verse 14 of chapter 4, Peter is having an allusion to Isaiah 11:2, which is a prophecy about Christ before he came, which says this: the spirit of the Lord shall rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. There it is. There's the strength. This spirit, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, rested on Christ. And we, Peter is saying, have this spirit on us. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Sure sounds like a whole lot of power to me. And entering into suffering isn't the only way to discover if the Holy Spirit is on someone. Especially since we aren't guaranteed necessarily to suffer. But the question is, why would sharing in Christ's suffering be an evidence of having the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, resting on us. Because the Spirit takes us to where Christ would go. 
Even though Christ has already done the work, even though Christ has already cleaned the house, we find ourselves right behind him, doing the very things he would do, saying the things he would say, and getting ourselves into the situations he would find himself in, like situations of suffering. For speaking the truth, dwelling with sinners, feeding the hungry, doing the work of the kingdom. Work that ticks both the world and Satan off. It's not enough that we take on the name of a Christian. Being a Christian means acting like Christ and allowing the Spirit to make it so. You see, getting the strength is more of a question of position than acquisition. The question isn't how does God give the strength of his spirit? The question is where does God give us strength in his spirit? Have you ever noticed the difference between the disciples while they were with Jesus and then after Jesus left? They weren't spiritually disciplined. They all scattered when they came after Christ. They weren't totally Christ-like. But then a certain day came. A day that is commemorated on today. A day is Pentecost. It's a Jewish festival that is 50 days after Passover, and it was the day that the Holy Spirit came. And we commemorate the birth of the church. Let's see why. Let's take a trip to Acts chapter 1 and hear the words of Jesus. While staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so they waited, as Jesus said, and then we move on to Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues, as of fire, appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. And after this passage, the whole book of Acts is a history of these followers of Jesus being led and empowered by the Spirit to go to the places where Christ would go and do the things that Christ would do. The disciples wouldn't have been able to withstand persecution for a man who didn't empower them. Why did all the disciples scatter when Jesus was being betrayed? They had not yet had the power of the Spirit. Their strength wasn't enough. They needed the Spirit. The Spirit that rested on Christ, Christ's Spirit was entrusted to us so that we might be able to act like Him, be on mission like Him, and be Him to the world. They put themselves in the place where God wanted them to be. Then the Spirit came. And then we see this throughout the whole book of Acts, like I said. The Spirit showing its power in the risky places where Christ would be. But here's the thing. The privilege of having the power of the Spirit that is Christ's, 
The Spirit that breaks the bondage of sin in our lives that we can't break on our own. The Spirit that makes the impossible possible also demands that we go to the places where He would go. That we would do the things He would do. And it just so happens that doing those things gets us into situations where the world and Satan want to make us suffer. Into situations where God wants to test you to see if we're really cut out for this life. The world and Satan don't want Christ. And if the world and Satan don't want Christ, O Christian, they shouldn't want you. Having the Spirit in our lives puts a spiritual crosshair on the back of us for Satan and the world to aim at. The Spirit doesn't take us places where we want to go. He takes us places where He wants to go. The Spirit doesn't empower us to do things we want to do. He empowers us to do things He wants to do. If you want the power of the Spirit, if you want the Spirit of counsel and might to empower you, it comes at a price. You have to do what He wants you to do. You have to surrender where the Spirit leads you. If we want the Spirit's power, we have to surrender to the Spirit's agenda. To the Spirit's leading. And we might not always like it. We change our source of strength when we become Christians. Which means we surrender our agenda to the Spirit. This message is for everyone this morning. There's no one that it cannot apply to. Where has the Spirit wanted to lead you that you've been too afraid, too lazy, or just haven't thought about to go? What have you been avoiding? What is the Spirit whispering to you right now? Is there sin in your life that it wants to help you get rid of, but you just can't drop? Is there a job he's calling to you to go to, but you just won't budge? Is there a place he's calling you to go, but it might be just too risky in your eyes? Is there a person he's calling you to? What is he asking you to do? Where is he asking you to go? It's probably a place or a task that will either cause the world to come after you or Satan to come after you. So don't be surprised when it happens. And so I just want to take a minute in the silence to just listen to the Spirit. Because it's in those times of silence that we can sometimes hear His voice most clearly. And I want you to ask Him, where are you leading me to go? What are you asking me to do? And so let us listen in prayer.
Christ came to show us how to live in the Spirit. The Spirit has come to empower us to live like Christ. You tap into the Spirit's power when you're His servant, not when He's yours. Where He'll lead you will be places where you'll be tested, but you'll have Him. Where He'll lead you won't always be fun, but you'll have Him. Where He'll lead you isn't where you would take yourself, but it's better than where you would take yourself. Speaking of surrendering to the Spirit, we have our New York mission team leaving this next week, and I'd like to invite them forward, if they're on this team, to come to the altar so we can pray over you. And what a perfect day to send them out on the day of Pentecost. On the day that remembers that Christ has given us his spirit to empower us to do his work in the world. And so let us stand together and pray. And if you feel led to come forward and lay a hand on them to get, as we commission them out, I invite you to do so at this time. Let's pray together for the Holy Spirit's leading for their trip. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, you have changed us. You have given us the power to act like Christ and do things like Christ that we never thought were possible. You took us out of the miry clay and of our sins and made us children of God. It always hasn't been easy and it won't always be easy. But we know that you have been there and will always be faithful to us as we follow your lead. And so we ask for your guidance for this team. Enlighten and guide their hearts to do what you would have them do in New York. So that Christ Jesus might be glorified. Attune their hearts to hear the whispers of your voice. So that they might be obedient. Where there is fear, give them courage. Where there is weakness, give them strength. Two, we ask that you begin to soften the hearts of the individuals who are lost that you would encounter, tilling up the soil of their souls. Give this team safe travel and joy in their hearts as you commission them from this place as little Christs on a mission to the world. In the precious and wonderful name of Jesus who has risen from the grave, we pray. Amen. Now, May the spirit of the Lord rest on you. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. We are all sent out from this place to follow the spirit's leading. You are dismissed.